tyranny was broken by the sins of the father, and his shepherds finally ceased to roam, seeking instead the simple peace found in the comfort of heart and home. All eyes now turn to his heir and son, who forged their home with his power. Will he be strong enough to lead them in this, their darkest hour? Welcome back to Lost Tribe, Darkest Hour. As always, I am the author and your humble narrator, Peter Ivey. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow and subscribe to help me keep bringing this story to you. Thank you for listening, and let's begin. Chapter 19 There was darkness where I was, and that was the only thing I could be sure of. I had no idea of how I got here, wherever here was. A memory of calling my wife's name, then nothing. This wasn't the Underrealm, of that I was certain. I tried to summon up some power to make some light, but nothing happened. Suddenly I could feel a surface under me, and it was cold and smooth. Not flat, but curved in many places like a marble sculpture. I raised myself slowly feeling for a ceiling or another surface, but there was nothing. I stood in the darkness, dimly aware that I had formed, but it seemed very far away, almost as if it was an afterthought in this place. Whatever it was, I was slowly adjusting to it. My power existed here, but it too was disconnected and distant, just enough to help me adapt. I could see my hands now, and the clothes I was wearing, my coat, my shirt, my pants, but no sword. The world around me started to appear in fine blue and purple outlines. There were high cliffs above me, and rounded hills among the cliffs, lining a great valley in which I stood. The substance under me was black, but dimly reflective of the light. It was as if a whole world could be rendered in opaque glass, every inch of earth cold and smooth. A light from high above illuminated the valley, the source of the multicolored hues that caught the edges of where I was. "'You brought me here,' I said." daring to break the silence. The sound of my voice was dull, quiet in the valley. I felt a slight vibration when I spoke, though, and it seemed as if what I did was wrong somehow, unwanted. That much is true. It came to me as a deep vibration, with no sound but the words suddenly in my head. How did you do this? There was a sound of strange discomfort, a slight cry of pain, form. Not until you quit with the theatrics. If you want to talk, then come here and talk. There was a moment of silence. The vibration steady, but small. I exerted my will, which seemed to be the only advantage I had in this place, determined to be a pain in the ass and get my way. Now I could feel presence in the vibration, getting more defined with each instant that passed. As you wish. I jumped back as a swirl of black smoke suddenly rushed down from somewhere above me in the cliffs and gathered on the ground. My hand went to grab for a sword that I forgot wasn't there. I tried to will it into existence, to make something real to defend myself with. But nothing happened. My will had its limits, apparently. The smoke twirled up in a pillar and moved in a miniature cyclone. I stood watching, mesmerized as the smoke swirled about something darker within. 
then it started peeling away, bit by bit to reveal a human form standing there. It was a young man, tall and willow thin, dressed in a dark purple robe with a sash the same color wrapped around his waist. The sash and the trim of the robe were decorated with silver runes that not even my power could decipher. That was certainly something. His complexion was so pale it was almost bluish, and there were delicate lines of pure white that pulsed gently along his neck. His hair was black as midnight, and hung down over his shoulders to his waist. From behind a curtain of hair, two milky white eyes stared out at me. He was similar to Neff in his otherworldly appearance, but instead of the continued expression of suffering that Neff wore, there was a sense of contentment and serenity about this one's face. Is this better? I guess so. You can speak like this? Yeah, I've had people inside my head before. I didn't like it then, either. I wanted you to make the effort, though. Who are you? My name is Silas. I brought you here to help you, Nick. Mm, I've heard that one before. Why should I believe you? We do not have an abundance of time. Although what passes for moments here passes as seconds back where your body resides. What must I do to earn your trust? Well, you can start by telling me how you did this. It is such a small thing. There was a momentary sense of irritation, and the young man moved his feet uneasily. It was a very human gesture. And so? Your friend is very brilliant, but his system was easy to take control of. It functions in the temporary dark, the gulf between the worlds. In other words, it reaches into your realm for a short time. It was easy to take hold of the line and use it for our purposes. The Dark. You're from the Dark Sphere, aren't you? I am the co-ruler, with my sister Sunia, of the world you call the Dark Sphere. We call it Teloth. I looked around at where I was again, taking in my surroundings with a new sense of their importance. I never imagined that the Dark Sphere, Teloth as Silas called it, was a place that had substance. How is this possible? More importantly, I guess, damn it. Why did you send Manolan to attack us? We did not. For our people, that was generations ago. When our world first recovered Manolan, it viewed him as a model to try and create humanoid life. You see, there is a great intelligence at work on our world. A will to create. We are all connected to it while we are here. It made my ancestors based on Manolan. Hundreds of them. After a time, there was a strange relapse in a small part of our population to Manolan's aberrant behavior. We imprisoned those we could and had to destroy some others. One escaped us, fleeing to your world. Manon had emerged in that one fully, and the secrets to traveling in between the worlds had emerged as well. We would have pursued him, but he shut his mind off to us once he had recovered his power. In trying to bring Teloth close enough to threaten the worlds, Manon was able to siphon off some of our world's power. It did not go to him, though, but flowed instead to a more ambitious individual. You mean Penny? That is correct. She had been in contact with our planet for longer than Manon suspected, reading our thoughts as we evolved. There is a long history of our planet that you do not know, Mick, and involves the creature you know as Father. Someday, when the strife of your worlds comes to an end, we must speak about that. Speaking of which, I'm assuming you have a point to make about this? My point is that we never want Penny to speak or act for us as we knew from being in contact with her mind that she is a dangerous, unstable individual. Her contact with us has made her even more so. We want to take away her power, and destroy her. She does not represent us. 
Furthermore, she has used our power to evolve and strengthen the beings known as Wraiths, and that may be the most dangerous thing that she has done. Why do you care? Why come to me? We hate Father Mick. He is responsible for more suffering than you know. But we know that you are a different person, and we want to form an alliance between our world and all of yours. We cannot do that while one possessing our power runs amok. Once you have taken it upon yourself to protect the worlds, then it is in our mutual interest to stop Penny and her allies. I need to find her first, and that's been difficult. We can help find her. But we need you to help us first. Stop wasting my time and tell me what the deal is, Silas. I have this horrible feeling that you took me away from something important, but for some reason I can't remember. Very well. We sent one of our people to kill Penny, and he failed. They imprisoned him on one of your worlds, a place called Taroge. If you can find him and free him, he can track Penny and help you destroy her. Taroge? That lost and hostile world where I set the trap for Apostos when I considered him an enemy. It was so desolate and dangerous. I had friends there, but would they remember me? And poor Simi, dead these many years at Valkyr's hand. I'd only return there once to officially declare the chieftain, Honor Barog, as my representative. He was a proud and stern man, but he cared deeply for his people despite his bristly exterior and his raucous moods, usually a result of blithe drunkenness. He and Simi were the same in that way. His people would accept no else to take up the position, much to my chagrin. But he was fiercely independent, and had never asked anything from me, which is no small thing considering how harsh Taroj could be. From my time among his people, I knew their stubborn ways to be a defining part of their character. I would now, perhaps, have to ask for his aid in finding Silas's lost agent. The risks had to be worth the candle. Why should I trust you? Why should I trust you, Silas? This could all be a part of some elaborate trap set by you and that pair of traitors. I will give you a gift, Mick. A tool that will allow you to find our mutual friend. And speak to me if you need to. My world will continue untouched by the events that threaten to consume the ones you protect. All we want is a chance to establish a relationship with you and your people that doesn't involve mutual destruction. That sounds reasonable, but I need more. My allies will never go along with doing your bidding while the worlds fall down around our heads. There was a moment of silence. Silas's eyes were closed. The vibration I had felt before started again and became very strong. I swore I could hear something beyond the vibrations. Inside them, many voices trying to talk at once. Silas tilted his head as if trying to listen closer. After a moment, he opened his eyes. I... We will import to you the full range of history that you do not know of you for your ally. We have hidden it inside your medallion. It will be conveyed to you through the device if you are successful. Wait, wait a sec. What don't I know? Why not tell me now? Information is power, Mick. We will give you that power in return for your cooperation. What can I do? I need all the information I can get. And right now I felt very confused about the relationship that Silas had hinted at between his people and ours. It was too tempting to pass up. I'll do it. Give me some time to gather my people that I... What's wrong? My people. What was I doing? Something is wrong. We shall see each other again, Mick. Soon. The world around us broke away in pieces of black material, and I felt myself falling through the space in between. It was cold there, a feeling I remembered from long ago when I first... traveled. 
My neck jerked upward, and I was staring at a strange ceiling of roots and cold light. Underground! Mick! Her scream brought me back. I looked over to where it came from, and Julia was in the midst of combat. In the middle of the large circular chamber, the dark form of the wraith, Valkyr, was gathering dark energy into itself from the black pool he stood in. I myself stood in a pile of bones and filth, the likes of which were their dozens around the chamber, and were fused with dark energy, turning them into deadly abominations bent on tearing us apart. Julia was two paces away from me, dealing nasty blows to the monsters with their machetes. They were swarming in against us. This is no time for a seizure! She screamed, punctuating each pause by dismembering a limb or crushing a skull. I raised my sword and lit it up with the cleansing energy that the darkness so hated. I didn't have enough power to unleash the swathes of energy that I did before. This would take some effort. I jumped forward, bringing the blade down in a killing arc, bisecting one of the monsters from skull to groin, catching the darkness afire. A resounding scream of rage from Falkir echoed across the chamber. I lunged and drove the blade upwards, taking the limbs off one side of another monster. It collapsed in burning chunks as the light ate away at it. You will suffer for this, Mick. We will gnaw on your bones. I mock-saluted Falkir with the blade, grinning. Gnaw on your own. Falkir howled and I laughed. Good to have you back in the fight, Julia yelled, beheading a monster with a dual strike. There's a lot of these damn things. Did you get a hold of the cavalry? I tried. There were complications. Julia backed away as three of the monsters pushed over the burning corpse of their comrade to attack her. Can't you just blast them? I drove my blade into the skull of one of them, exploding with a fury of fiery sparks. I kicked another with enough force to dislodge its shin. It fell, but kept scrambling forward. I'm at a low ebb. Not enough power to pull it off. Then we need to run. Now! Never. Not against him. Julia grabbed my shoulder and pointed at the middle of the chamber. Damn. I watched Felker disappearing in an unfamiliar twisting of dark energy. He was swollen with darkness, having sucked it all up from the pool. We need the others. They are too many, Mick. No. The hell with it. He isn't getting away. I charged forward, driving my blade into as many of the freaks as I could, and sending blistering waves of fire through their ranks. If I could only break through their ranks... Valkyr was almost gone. I'm coming for you, you fiend! Valkyr laughed, low and ugly. Three of the monsters had grabbed a hold of my sword arm, trying to pull it free as I struggled to break through. I punched one of them hard enough to dislodge it, but I felt their strength pulling me down. Valkyr disappeared in a diminishing twirl of darkness, and I screamed in frustration. A machete buried itself in the chest of one of them, and his companion went down as a heavy blade of another machete came slicing down and threw its severed head. I felt Julia grab me by the coat, and we both flew up and back. The last of the monsters tried to drag me down, burning as I tore away from it, bringing the blade up and threw its chest to do so. I forgot how stubborn you could be, she cried, as she put us down and just inside the tunnel. The monsters had not slowed down their efforts to kill us once Falkyr departed, and they were scrambling to get into the tunnel with us. Julia kicked me hard enough to send me back towards the entrance, then she punched the top of the tunnel, and everything went dark. Julia? There was no response. All I could hear was the drifting of Earth as it settled over us. Jules! Yes. You bitch! I thought you were dead! Ha ha. Great. I tried igniting my sword with energy to give us some light, but it was too drained. I could feel dirt around my legs, but my arms were still free. Where was Jules? 
I think we're going to have to dig our way out, I said, carefully putting Hearthblade back in its sheath. That's not good. I heard her grunt in discomfort. Are you okay? Sort of. Jules? Later. We need to get out of here. Can we portal out? I feel like an idiot. Eh, maybe? I've never done it from inside a confined space like this. I heard her sigh. You're a shitty liar. Were you really going to try and dig your way out? Shut up and take my hand. I reached out and snapped a couple of times. She grabbed my arm. I was alarmed by how slick it was. As you say, patron. I summoned the image of the clearing in my mind, said my words, and concentrated with the energy I had left to take us there. Chapter 20 We emerged on the ground near the stream on our stomachs. Some of the earth around us tumbled through with us. I rolled onto my back, coughing as my lungs struggled to take in clean air. I heard Jules choking beside me and started to move to try and push myself up a bit. It was so bright up here, by comparison, that I could barely see to get up. A pair of hands grabbed the front of my shirt. I grabbed it, whoever it was, and got a hold of my jacket. Make let go of me. I heard Henry yell. Casey, he's here! Here! I staggered back and heard a flurry of footsteps coming along the path behind me. Oh, lords. Henry's oath and his intake of breath after made me jump, and I squinted trying to see better. After a moment I made out him in front of me, Casey and Dekub not far from him, and he was trying to hold up someone else. Jules! I reached out to her, but my hand was covered in blood. I knew why, now. Her camouflage pants were stained with crimson rivulets, running from a sharp piece of bone that was lodged in her stomach just below her jacket. Some of the darkness had clung to the bone, and was moving under her skin near the wound. Lie down, Jules, Henry said. Henry had gone white as a sheet, and I knew what he was remembering as he looked at her. Damn it. No, not again. Casey saw me and put her arms around me. She was a bit of a mess herself, but I breathed a sigh of relief as I saw none of the gore in her shirt was hers. Casey, do something, like you did with Manon. Casey let go of me and nodded. I'll need your help, she said, taking my hand as she knelt down beside Jules. I don't have a lot of energy left, but I'll give you what I've got. Jules' eyes were open, and she was looking around frantically. You, take a girl to the nicest places, Mick, she moaned. Your husband's a bit of a jerk, Casey. Casey grinned and smoothed back Jules' hair from her face. Aw, oh, you don't have to tell me. Just stay still. She reached down to touch the bone, and something writhed from within the wound. Casey jerked back as a tiny tendril leapt out and lashed at her. Jules cried in agony, and her breathing was so rapid. Someone's gonna have to pull that bone out without touching it, I replied. Or it'll just spread to someone else. We both looked up past Henry to where Dacoon was standing. He had his arms crossed and looked less happy than usual. He seemed to be studying Jules very carefully as she lay there in pain. I knew what he was thinking. She's not the same person, I said, imploring him. Look, if you can't forgive her, then trust me. Takum nodded grimly and came over beside me. He bent over and looked at the bone, shaping his fingers to the size required. His irises became pinpoints of green light as he focused his power. 
The delicate clamps of force began to lift the bone out of Jules' stomach. She flinched from the pain, and it slipped from Dacoum's grip. Hold her, he grunted. Casey and I grabbed Jules' arms and held her down as the dark thing jumped and snapped at us. It had a small mouth now, lined with sharp, misshapen fangs. Dacoum's force slapped it aside and grasped at the bone again. The serpent-like thing started to grow bigger, and I got the feeling I knew what it was feeding on. Forget the bone! Get that damn thing out of her! Dacoum seemed to see the same thing I saw in that instant, and I thought he was going to rip the serpent out with his bare hands. He was just getting a better grip. The forces he had been focusing so tightly on the bone were refocused with crushing force on the serpent. Dacoum cradled his hands, palm turned outward, and slowly pulled up the creature. Jules jerked violently as it fought back, trying to moor itself into her. I could see it had a formidable strength of its own as lines of exertion began to show on Dacoum's face. Henry was looking concerned. He wrapped his hands around Dacoum's massive right forearm and closed his eyes. They opened slightly and a gentle glow issued from them. The lines on Dacoum's face lessened, and the serpent began to shriek in rage as Dacoum seemed to have found a new reservoir of power. In the short years since we had all met, there had been chances to begin to understand who we were and what we had become. One of the most remarkable things we had observed was the effect that emotions and relationships had on our powers. A real definable link seemed to occur between those of our folk who had intimately involved, or perhaps even cohabitating. I seemed to be able to lend Casey's strength, and her to me. Takuma and Henry could do the same. There was also a profound sense of strength that we all lend to each other when we were together. I could feel it at times like this, and that sensation was one of the reasons that I fought to keep us together. The sight of the communion between my two friends reminded me of how much I needed to repair things with Casey. The serpent came free from Jules explosively, and she began to bleed heavily from the wound. I ripped the bone free. Jules screamed in agony. I put my hand over the wound as quickly as I could, as her life's blood seemed to ooze out past all my attempts to stop it. Casey put her hand on top of mine, and we looked across Jules at each other. The light started small in her eyes, and then began to pulse. It was moving in time with Jules' fluttering heart, and I could feel the link form between the three of us. I gasped as I started to feel Jules' pain, and I wondered how the hell Casey was standing it. I reached out with my other hand, and I didn't know why. I felt Henry take it, and the strength of my friends began to flow through me like a running river. I was reminded of when I took the darkness from each of them to gather the power to fight Manon, experiencing the pain that the shadowy presences had caused in each of them before they discovered their new lives. Now, I could see past the darkness and the true essence of my friends was revealed to me. In the blink of an eye, I knew them better than anyone, and that knowledge had scared me. I watched Henry, over his shoulder in his lab, scribbling designs in charcoal on parchment. I could see the care that he took with each curve, with each line that he executed. He took a finger and gently moved along the drawing, smudging and erasing to reach the exact vision he had structured in his mind. It was all there in his head, gleaming designs and transparent cutaways that showed how they should. No? how they must work. He picked up the designs from the table and walked over to a large stone wall covered by a tarp. He was about to draw the tarp aside, but he stopped. He looked back over his shoulder, and I swear he could see me. His mouth curled into a smile. The great work is not complete. Takoon waded through a river in Kamal, up to his waist. He was looking for something. He was checking the banks of the river, looking under reeds and logs. With a smile, he withdrew a clutch of purple flowers which he gently placed in a sack that hung by a string around his neck. He found a few more flowers by varying types and colors, and tucked them away as well. The river disappeared, and was replaced by the interior of the south tower at hearth. 
Takuma was sitting cross-legged on the floor, bent over a bowl. He was crushing the flowers of the pestle, grinding them down into tiny bits of what he was mixing together into another bowl with tiny bits of clay, and other things I didn't recognize. He reached behind where he was sitting, and caught the straps of a backpack. He was sitting in front of a painting, the easel facing away from where I could see. There was a great number of bowls in front of him, each filled with the same mixture I had washed and prepared. He dipped a brush, dwarfed by his massive fingers, into one of the bowls, and was about to put the brush on parchment when he stopped and turned to look at me directly. The great work is not complete. Casey was wiping the sweat from her brow as she hauled a pail of hot water up the tower stairs and into our quarters. She walked through the bedroom and into the bath. A very young Flint sat in the tub, grinning broadly, and playing with a little wooden boat my father had made him. Casey smiled at him, and had him pick up his boat as she poured the water into the tub. Flynn laughed and splashed the water around, nearly drowning his boat. She knelt down by the tub and took up a scrub brush. She bathed him gently, pushing back the wispy locks of brown hair that fell over his eyes as she rinsed him down. Now he stood in front of her in a towel, and she talked to him, teasing him as she took up a rolled-up tape measure. She asked him to hold still as she measured his height. She had a concerned look on her face as she unfolded a scrap of paper from the pocket of her shirt and noted the number there. Flynn saw her face, and he wanted to know what was wrong. She shook her head, smiled, and hugged him. As Flynn's head rolled over her shoulder, his eyes opened, and he looked at me. The great work is not done. I opened my eyes. Julie was on the ground, coughing, holding her chest as Casey held her. Takuma and Henry were sitting next to her, and they looked exhausted. I felt strange, my thoughts occupied by the things I had seen. What was it they were all hiding? I had enough bloody mysteries to figure out as it was, and I sure didn't need any more on my own doorstep. The part about it all bothered me the most was the vision of Flynn. I missed him, and seeing him like he had been when he was so small was slowly bringing down my defenses. I needed to go home, damn it. Is everyone okay? Henry nodded, and Takum grunted. Casey was looking very pale, so I knew she wasn't doing very well. Jules was still coughing, but was on her knees now, trying to sit up. Far from okay, but alive, thanks to all of you. <sighs> You're welcome, Casey said, letting out a deep breath. That was something, I said. Something I'd rather not repeat. Second that, Jules rasped. She spat in the dirt and got to her feet. I came over and helped Casey while Dacoom did the same for Henry. We all looked at each other for a moment. I wondered if they remembered my unintentional eavesdropping, but I didn't see a sign of it in their eyes when they looked at me. Henry held up his hands. Okay, since no one else is going to say anything, I will. What in all the spinning worlds is happening? I was going to ask, Casey said. Whatever it is, I'm pretty sure a medallion's a part of it. Didn't know she was a mind reader. I'm sorry. What? Those medallions you made, Henry. They're getting blocked or hijacked. I had a nasty run with something I didn't recognize when I was trying to reach Mick. There were some kind of dark beings breathing blue light in a vast cavern of gloom. And there was something at the center of it. A mother or a leader. It kept me away. That happened to me as well, Casey. But my experience was really different. How so? A vein on Henry's forehead was beginning to stand out. What the hell is wrong with my gear? What have you people done? We both stopped talking. I forgot how touchy Henry was about the stuff he made. A mark against one of his devices was a mark against his abilities. Against Henry himself. I'm sorry, Henry. I should have told you, but things were getting pretty dire back there. Henry smirked maniacally and turned away from us, laughing to himself. Uh-huh. 
We should get back to Hearth, get something to eat, and then maybe talk about all this? Can we hold it off until then, Henry? Oh, <laughs> sure. Maybe until the next planetary assault? Sounds good. Ah, oh, I know this has all been crazy and unexpected. I'm sorry for keeping you all in the dark on this one. I have my reasons, but please let me explain once we get back home. Casey walked over and leaned on me. I need to see her, son. She nearly sagged. She was so worn out. I put my arm around her to hold her up. She whispered in my ear. It's nice to hear the old you in there, but you're not off the hook yet, love. I know. I drew on the last dregs of my energy and opened a portal back to home. I helped Casey through first, and Henry and Dacoom followed her. Jules stood waiting by the edge. Coming? Am I welcome there? Since I say you are, then you are. Honestly, Jules, you're going to have to work out any problems you have with the others on your own. Besides, they just saved your life. That has to mean something, doesn't it? I hope so. She stepped through the portal and I followed her. I had a lot of questions as well. But I had a lead to follow now, a way forward that I didn't have before. All I had to do now was to convince my friends and family who already felt slightly nervous about what we were doing, that a regent from the dark side of things will help us solve our problems if we help him free the assassin he sent to kill Penny. An assassin who obviously failed. The only selling point I had was a possible end to our problems, and peace for the worlds. Thank you for listening and supporting this podcast. Keep sharing and subscribing to help me bring the story to you each week. Come back next week for another episode of The Lost Tribe, Darkest Hour.